I'm going to try not to do that next week, I promise. Try is the key word. Uh, so if you uh, have your Bibles, go ahead and get them out. We're back in Colossians this morning. Surprise, surprise. Uh, we're in chapter 1, verse 24. We'll go through and we'll kind of take a peek at uh, chapter 2 verse uh, through verse 5. Now, I was kind of thinking about this whole week and, you know, in our, in our town, you know, we're, we're kind of experiencing the gem show, the, the gem and mineral show. I remember my very first one back in 2010. I was working at a major resort here in town on the west side, and uh, and I was a restaurant manager there. And I remember my very first experience there. You know, we 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 hosted a, a very large show, so there were hundreds of vendors, hundreds of vendors. It was busy. We were busy. I remember probably working well over a hundred hours that week, just nonstop, dawn to dusk, just moving, moving. And I just kept pushing through each busy day just trying to get to the end of that week, trying to get through it, and, and I was exhausted, just just done, right? My feet, my legs, my, my back, everything, mentally, physically. It was so exhausting once that week got done, but I had to get through it. I had to push through it, didn't I? Because that was really what my responsibility was. I'm sure some of you have, have similar stories of, of times where you pushed through something that was so crazy and, and exhausting, but you just push through, even in those times and moments where it just didn't seem like it was possible. So on our passage this morning, we're going to talk about how Paul worked super hard. And Paul worked so hard in his ministry. And again, remember, Colossae was not one of the churches he planted, right? So he worked so hard, even for this church that he technically wasn't even a part of. And he worked this ministry of his and his life to the point of exhaustion. And that's what we'll see here today as well. I'm going to go ahead and jump right into the passage, so if you're following along, it'll also be in the slides behind me, and online it'll be on the bottom of your screen. Verse 24, chapter 1, Colossians. Now I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake, and for my flesh I am filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body, that is, the church, of which I became a minister according to the stewardship from God that was given to me for you, to make the word of God fully known, the mystery hidden for ages and generations, but now revealed to his saints. To them God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of his glory of this mystery, which is in Christ in you, the hope of glory. Now we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we might present everyone mature in Christ. For this I toil, struggling with all his energy that he powerfully works within me. For I want you to know, we're in chapter 2, verse 1, for I want you to know now how great a struggle I have for you and for those at Laodicea and for all those who have not seen me face to face, that their hearts might be encouraged, being knit together in love, to reach all the riches of the full assurance of understanding and the knowledge of Christ's mystery, which is Christ, in whom all are, are, are hidden in all treasures of wisdom and knowledge. I say this in order that no one may delude you with plausible arguments. For though I am absent in body, yet I am with you in spirit, rejoicing to see your good order and the firmness of your faith in Christ. Here's our main idea that I want to unpack this morning. To be rooted in Christ, I must be willing to participate in sacrificial ministry. 
to be rooted in Christ, I must be willing to participate in sacrificial ministry. If you're like me, you had to use that spell check for sacrificial. I got you. It's all right. In most of your Bibles, the heading of this section probably reads something similar to this, Paul's ministry to the church. You know what? I kind of like it. So we're going to roll with that this morning, if you don't mind. So here's what I want to do this morning. We're going to kind of break down sacrificial ministry according to Paul. All right? Sacrificial ministry according to Paul. The first thing we see that Paul did is Paul ministered through suffering. Right? That sounds like fun, doesn't it? Paul ministered through suffering. Paul suffered for the sake of the body, both locally there in Colossae, but also in his ministry as a whole, and for the whole body of Christ. He says this puzzling phrase in verse 24. He says, filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions. Right? If you're like me, you probably heard that in just a minute ago, and you're like, wait, what? What are you talking about, Paul? It's okay. That's, that, you're probably not alone. The phrasing is, is very unique, and it's kind of puzzling, and it is a difficult phrase, but it's actually not a unique phrase. Paul uses it in 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 5. He also uses that same phrasing in, 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 in Philippians chapter 3, verse 10. But what makes this passage difficult is the assumed implication that Paul is basically saying that Christ's afflictions are lacking. That's kind of what it sounds like on the surface level. So what does that mean? I think sometimes it's best to look at that passage or look at passages like this from a different angle. Or in the case of the billions of English translations that we have, we can look at possible some other translations to see what they say. And I actually like the way the, the New Living Translation reads it. They, they state this in verse 24, I am glad when I suffer for you in my body, for I am participating in the sufferings of Christ that continue for his body, the church. Okay, that helps clear it up a little bit. That word afflictions that we see if you're using the ESV uh, translation, it, it's used often in the New Testament as sufferings or tribulation. And it literally refers to this intense pressure and distress, right? So you see, no, by no means is Paul stating that Christ's work was lacking or incomplete. Rather, he continues and he's, he's contending that the proclamation of the gospel continues through his labor and through the labor of the other saints. That's what he's talking about there. And he's saying and warning, like, look, this labor may come with suffering. And to say it another way, perhaps, is, is Paul has suffered in order for the world to know Christ. And in Christ began that work, yet when he left, he empowered the apostles and us to continue that work. Not everyone's expected to suffer like Paul did, but we also, I think, should be ready to do so. So that's kind of what that, that, that means there. So that second point that I want to kind of talk through is how Paul ministered by appointment. Paul ministered by appointment. And that, that's kind of implied when we look at that term steward in verse 25. That term is often used to describe a manager of a household or a manager of a, of a, you know, a, a, a place, right? So Paul is saying here that, that you, you know, he's using this to confirm his role as apostle right, in watching over the affairs of the household of Christ, right? He's watching over this, this house of God, which is the church. So you might be thinking, well, Paul's an apostle. Of course he's doing that. That's his job. That's what he was called to do. So this maybe just doesn't apply to me. Well, I contend that it does, because the Bible teaches that we're all ministers, 
right? So don't put, you know, this is about ministry. This entire passage is about ministry, but it doesn't just apply to quote-unquote ministers. Peter says that we're all a royal priesthood. And a priest from the Old Testament perspective had the right and the privilege and the responsibility to go before God and had the responsibility to go directly to God on behalf of the people and have fellowship with him. So they also had the responsibility to represent him before the people of God and to minister to others through an act of service. Okay, that probably hopefully sounds familiar. So Peter's saying that we're all ministers because of the work that Christ did on the cross. So then that means that you and I have that same responsibility and we have that same access to God that the priest did. So I think it's also important to, to remember a couple of very key passages very early on in the church, right towards the end of Christ's ministry. Uh, Matthew chapter 28, verses 18 to 20 should be very familiar to us. Jesus came to them, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you, and behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Those were Christ's instructions before he left. We see final instructions as well in Acts chapter 1, verse 8. But you will receive the power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. We're included in that last part. And that would not have been possible without the ministry of individuals and bringing it to us. So you see, Jesus himself empowered the followers to carry out the work that he began while here on earth in preparation for his return. So you see, that means that we too have to participate in sacrificial ministry. The next thing we see here is that Paul ministered to his buddies, to just those people that were closest. No, he ministered to all people. To all people. Paul is reminding the Gentile believers in Colossae that they too are included in this work that Jesus did. This, this group in Colossae was, was mixed with, with Gentiles and Jews and a, and a bunch of other people. So this included them just as much. And that, again, that includes you and me. And that means your past, my past, our past does not exclude us from the blood of Jesus and that salvation he offers to us. So you see this mystery that, that he speaks about in verses 26 and 27, you know, again, is not, not unique to this language we see here in Colossians. Take a look at Ephesians chapter 3. When you get home later today, in between, you know, all the commercials, you know, take a look at Ephesians 3. It kind of talks in great detail about this. And this mystery, we can understand that in a couple of ways, and I'm, I'm really simplifying this for you all. This mystery can be understood in a couple of ways. First, this mystery, Paul addresses here are these aspects of God's plan that we don't exactly see in the Old Testament, right? And, and more specifically, he's talking about kind of the church, right? This, this universal church that we're talking about. So that's namely what he's talking about. Another way we can look at it is it also refers to the grafting in of the Gentiles into his plan, grafting them into the promise that we saw from God to the Jewish people. And if you want to read more about that, take a look at Romans chapter 11. It talks in great detail about the grafting in of, of the Gentiles to the Jews. So you see, Paul brought the gospel to the Gentiles. So I ask you this, are you willing to bring the gospel 
to your neighbors? Are you willing to bring the gospel to your coworkers? Are you willing to bring the gospel and rely on the Holy Spirit to do so? You know, those, those neighbors and coworkers that might not agree with you, are you willing to bring the gospel to them? The next thing we see here is that Paul ministered to proclaim Christ. That was his primary objective. And he did this in a couple of ways. He did this through warning. He's warning people. He's warning the others. R.C. Sproul, who I actually learned this morning, his birthday would have been today. He would have turned 83. Uh, He was a very popular minister and speaker and teacher. And he's talked about this story of one time he went to a seminary service, a a chapel service, and he's doing one of his his many presentations. And he's walking through the campus, and this, this student runs up to him, like, really excited, like, saying, hey, R.C., turns around, do you know what you're saved from? Imagine saying that to a guy like R.C. Sproul. He's like, yes, probably more excitedly. He's like, from God. So what what, what R.C. Sproul was kind of talking about there, he's making the point that, look, we're all going to face judgment, right? But those who have not trusted in Jesus, they're going to face this punishment, this eternal punishment as their judgment. But for those of us who have trusted and are putting our faith in the Lord Jesus, we might be judged on what we've done with that faith and how much we did or have not done, but this work is also finished. As we know, this work has been finished for us who have believed in Christ Jesus. And it's not to say that the work of of Christ on the the cross is not sufficient because he had borne the sins of the world and for his people when he died for us. So our salvation we see and we know is, is secure in Christ. But we have to realize that when we're sharing the gospel is that all people need to be warned about those consequences. It's not just a yes or no when we go about our, our lives. There's a, there's a significant consequence of not following Jesus. And the second thing you see is that we also proclaim Christ through teaching. We have to tell people about Jesus. We have to teach people about Jesus. Think about it. We're, we're, we've talked about this the last couple of weeks already. Paul keeps bringing us back to this idea that the word of God must be primary in our lives. I'm going to get sick of that phrase myself, but it's such a truth that we see here in Colossians so far. You see, Paul's suffering was for the preaching of the word of God. That's why he was thrown in prison. That's why he kept getting, you know, kicked out of every place that he went to, right? So, you know, he's saying here that the preaching of the word is what is necessary to bring others to him. And he was suffering for that, thrown into prison and continued to suffer for those truths. And he knew that that preaching that truth in those areas may cause him harm, death, imprisonment. He knew that going in, but that didn't stop him from doing so. That didn't stop him knowing that something could additionally happen to him. It didn't stop him from preaching the gospel. And the other purpose we see there is he was facilitating the maturity and the maturing of the saints. And I think that's key. This is one of the primary functions of ministry, is to to build up the others so they can be mature saints. Ephesians chapter 4, that's what it talks about in great detail there. It specifically points out that the role of the leadership of your church is responsible for the maturation of of your saints and to equip them for ministry. So you see, we're all in that, that idea of ministry. I love the Titus 2 model of ministry, where it talks about the older men and women teaching the younger men and women. 
right? And that, ba- that formula is based off this assumption that there are mature saints within the congregation, and there's those, and there's those who are not as mature who need that, that direction and guidance. But it's talking about the saints building it in the lives of others. So are we doing that with one another? Are we doing that with others around us? Are we building into the lives of those who may not as be as mature as you and I? Next thing we see here in my 10-point sermon is that Paul ministered hard. Right? I, I probably could have used better language, but that, that prefix of Paul ministered was kind of in the outline there. But better say that Paul labored hard. Paul labored really hard, didn't he? Verse 29, um, I love that verse here, and there's a paraphrase that I came across this week. It says this. He says, I'm consistently laboring to the point of exhaustion, engaging in a contest in which I'm controlled by his energy, which operates in me in power. Have you ever ministered that hard where you're just exhausted at the end of the day? I don't think I have. That's a difficult thing. That's convicting. That, that punched me right in the gut this week. Here's an example. Back in October, we had, uh, we had a work day here at the church. Uh, definitely a few of you I see around here were there. You know, and, and then after that, on Sunday, we had our annual meeting. And then after that, we had, uh, we had you know, church picnic for the first time in a, in a long time. Man, I was tired. Uh, I don't know if that's what he was talking about here, do you? That's not what he was talking about. Ministry doesn't only happen here in the church during church hours and for church events. This happens everywhere. Yes, that means it happens at work, in your home, in your neighborhood, in your communities, during traffic. Maybe not so during, maybe not the traffic part. But it happens everywhere but there. Right now it happens everywhere. It happens in these moments where it's difficult for us to minister to other people. That's where it happens. And this idea of struggle that Paul talks about here, this idea of struggle, it, it, it's almost like it's a fight. It's a fight. It's, it's, it's just a struggle, right? So Elizabeth had a game last night, and, and in the third match of, you know, a tied 1-1 game, you know, they, they, they were just fighting for that victory. Both sides, they were just battling it out, right? And they were all working hard. They were all fighting and struggling to get those points, to get that win, do we fight for souls? Do we fight for the souls of other people? Do we love them and care for them enough to fight for their souls? And are we having that fight on behalf of the Savior? Right? Are we relying on the Holy Spirit for strength like Paul did here? You see, Paul's source of strength was the Spirit. It wasn't him you know, it wasn't him. It was the source that came from the Holy Spirit. I, I'm not going to sit here and pretend or stand here that it's probably not difficult for you to, to, to think like, well, I'm not a minister, right? I'm not a minister. But I said, you know, we've said it here a hundred times before. Does it mean you have to have a degree? Does it mean you have had to go to Bible college and then seminary? It doesn't mean those things. It doesn't, it doesn't, matter about those things. It simply means that you're putting yourself out there for the better of the saints. You're putting yourself out there to hopefully increase the kingdom of God. Next, we see that Paul ministered in love. Paul ministered in love. Paul had this strong desire for churches to succeed. 
Again, Colossae wasn't one of his, but he had a strong desire to see them succeed. And the success, if you remember from a couple weeks ago, it's not based on, you know, the size of the budget, the size of the staff, the building, you know, all these kind of, you know, how many programs they have, how many services they have. All right, this is a sixth service of our Sunday worship, right? It doesn't, those are not what defines success for a church, but it's the maturation, the maturation of the saints. That's what's successful, right? So if every one of you go out there and you're building in the lives of others in the name of Christ, that's success. So his, his role as a pastor, as a shepherd, as a minister was to encourage the saints. And here's one of the reasons why. Think about a Christian who's discouraged. A Christian who's discouraged, they get led astray pretty easily, it's, it's, it's easy to start listening to other voices and it's easy to kind of drift further and further away from Christ if a Christian is discouraged. But a Christian who is encouraged, they're fit to have that battle and they're fit to have and they're fit for anything that comes their way. I think that's a great lesson for any of us here who hold any sort of leadership type role. Right? Maybe you're a manager of people and you're nine to five. Maybe you're a, a, a father or a mother, a grandparent. Yeah, grandparents are still important, y'all. Right? Maybe you're the head of your home. Right? This means that you have that responsibility, and it's a great lesson for us to know that encouraging others in the name of Jesus builds into their lives, and it produces confidence in the Savior, and it produces that confidence not only in their faith, but in, in the circumstances that they will be led into at times, just as we see with Paul. But that primary vehicle is what? Love. That primary vehicle for his ministry came out of love. Paul warns us in 1 Corinthians 13 that ministry without love is just a Loud noise. Just a loud noise. He says that love unifies the body. Again, do you love your neighbor enough to share the gospel of Jesus? Do you love your neighbor enough to share Jesus? Do you love your brother enough to spare some time to serve them? To take care of needs that they might have? Do you love your church community enough to give in order to participate in a ministry? And then finally, Paul ministered in truth. So look at verse 4 again. It says this, I say this in order that no one may delude you with plausible arguments. This, this phrasing is, is a strong phrase that's used for Paul to kind of make sure that they're staying on track, right? Um, he's warning them that even though somebody might have this really, really good argument, we can't allow that to persuade us from truth. So that's kind of what Paul's talking about here. It's important to remember again that this, this letter was written to a, a group of young Christians who added a little bit of this and a little bit of that to Jesus. You know, they weren't fully focused on Christ and Christ alone. These, they were listening to a lot of voices and they were listening to these voices which persuaded them to do these things. And he's reminding them as we've seen over and over that They've heard the truth, and that truth is something that Paul worked really tirelessly in making sure they had and was available for them. 
And again, it's hard not to draw back some of these principles. And I said it just a few minutes ago. The Word of God has to be primary in our lives because we cannot understand truth without understanding the Word of God. If we're listening carefully to the Word of God, we can apply those to all things in our lives. So maybe you're in a, in a, in a work, in, still in the workforce, you're a student, you're going to hear those voices from your teachers, from those darn HR people in your offices. You know, you're going to learn some of those things through trainings and programs and, you know, all these things. And it's important that if we understand that truth, we can discern that from, from the lies that we're going to hear outside of here. So just as a reminder, we saw that, you know, being rooted in Christ means that we, we must be willing to participate in sacrificial ministry. And, of course, Paul was a, a fantastic fantastic example of this for us, right? But I'm thinking of others, people that I've seen in ministry. J. Vernon McGee, one of my favorite teachers, he retired from preaching, and what did he do? He started a radio program and preached in that radio program through the entire Bible for decades. And it's still active ministry right now, and it's still reaching people for, the word, uh, for, for Christ. R.C. Sproul was doing lectures with his oxygen tank on, you can hear the little poofs in the background if you ever listen to him right up until the point of his death. You know, there's complications from COPD. John MacArthur, whatever, you know, however you, you see and view him, he's been preaching at that pulpit for over 40 years. That's a long time. These men are just a couple of examples of ministry leaders that have ministered sacrificially tirelessly in their lives, probably to the point of exhaustion. But they understood what the mission was. They understand what that commission from the Lord Jesus was. So what does that look like for you and me? How do we become and how do we be sacrificial ministers? First thing I would argue is this. We need to be part of a community. So for some of you, that just means we, we stay for a few extra minutes and we go to the round table, and we participate in the discussion around God's word. Some of us, that might mean we, we get up a couple minutes earlier on a Monday morning and you join the men for a Bible study. For others, maybe it, it means coming over here and packing a brown lunch and coming and joining the ladies on Wednesday afternoons. Right? There's ways that we can be a community and gather together. To others, that might mean that we just need to open up to one another more and be available to minister to one another, to communicate your needs so we can do that. To others, that might mean just making a commitment to serving in a local, in a local body here. Next thing I would say is we need to, to get out of our comfort zone. We need to get out of our comfort zone, right? For some of us, it's real easy to sit, listen, and then you know, scurry out of here after the service. And that's okay for some, right? Some of us have reasons for that, right? But if it's because you're uncomfortable to kind of be a part of a, a group or you're uncomfortable because you don't want to be part of serving, I would argue that we need to get out of that comfort zone and be available. So most of you know this, but I was, I was in the hotel business for about 20 years, just shy of 20 years. In that environment, I'll tell you what, it's one of those environments that kind of teach you to get out of your comfort zone. Right? I remember working as, a, as a, a young man, 18, 19 years old, working the front desk of a hotel, and I can literally recall leaving that front desk and going setting up a meeting room 
for an hour or two or going and clean up the bathroom or delivering sheets to a room, right, just to make sure that the guests were taken care of. I can remember, you know, uh, being a restaurant manager and passing by a meeting room when they were serving a 1,000 people, plated, plated a meal, and I remember grabbing trays and just serving food. Right? I can remember as an HR leader early, early in the morning, driving a, a golf cart to take people down to, you know, from the casitas all the way up to back up to the resort so they can get to their meeting on time, right? The primary objective of any hotel employee should be to take care of the customer, take care of the guest. That's what they did. That's their job. Everybody, didn't matter what the position was. And that was a lesson I learned there. didn't matter what your job was because in the end, your job was to take care of the people. So it didn't matter if you're the general manager or a housekeeper. Your primary objective was to take care of the guests. For the church, the primary objective is to, to build into the lives of others for Christ. I wonder why most churches don't use that same model as we see in some of the hotel businesses. And then the last thing we need to do is this. We can now stop making excuses. Guilty. Right? Guilty. 100% guilty. I'm not saying that I don't do that. We're all busy. We're all tired. Right? But we can't make excuses and find reasons not to serve people. We need to find those reasons to serve others. Right? We can't make excuses not to minister to the other people. Paul's been arguing in this section that we must be willing to minister sacrificially. So if that's the case, then we can no longer stand by and watch a brother or sister suffer or watch a brother and sister in need and not do anything for them. And there's so many of you that I'm looking around this room that are so good at that. So good at that. In my newsletter last week, I did urge everyone to let Pat and I and the elders know How can we pray for you? How can we serve you? How can we be better ministers to you? So I ask you to, you know, continue to to think through that and to pray over that. But I also want to ask you to kind of take that a step further. Okay, take that a step further. How can we as a local body pour into the lives of others? How can we as a local body minister to the needs of our neighbors and our communities? That's something that's incredibly important. Verse 29 says that Paul struggled, but the energy again was provided him by the Spirit of God. God gave him that energy, gave him that understanding and the know-how and the ability to continue. And being in prison wasn't going to stop him from ministering to others. So I ask you again, what is one step that all of us can take this week to be a sacrificial minister for God? Let's pray. God, I was convicted this week looking at this message, and, and uh, I, I know that there are definitely some things I can do better in my life to not only just be a, a better minister um, to my community, to my church, even in my own home. So I ask you, God, that you just use that as, as just a, a fuel to drive me to, to be available to be willing to step out and just serve and minister others' needs. 
Um, and I, I'm, I'm confident that's a prayer that you will answer. I'm confident that's a prayer that you will allow us to, to be a part of, and, and for that I'm grateful. Pray for everybody here today who might be struggling with um, just being uncomfortable sharing the good news or might be uncomfortable just being out there to serve others. It is difficult to do, and, and there might be you know reasons for that, God, but I just pray that you just reach in each and every one of our hearts today and allow us and give us the courage and the energy and supply us with those things so we can go out there and be better sacrificial ministers for you, God. It's a difficult thing to think about. It's a difficult prayer to even say out loud, but I know that this is something that you desire from us. And for that, God, I just ask that you just build that into our lives. We ask that in Jesus' name.